0: Central Thursday, a post-draft special edition of the program here on Sportsnet 650 and on your favorite podcatcher, Stan Richo and Satyar Shah in the Kintec studio. The draft is in the books. The Vancouver Canucks making seven selections. They came into the draft with seven selections scattered across the first, third, fourth, And 6th rounds, and they made those selections. Tom Valander at 11, Hunter Brustovich with the 75th overall pick, Sawyer Mignot 89th, a left-shot defenseman, Ty Mueller overager at 105, Vilmer Ulrichson at 107, and Matthew Perkins at 119, Aiden Celebrini with the 171st pick Mm -hmm. in the NHL entry draft.
1: Yeah, the draft is in the books, and honestly, I mean, I was hyped yesterday because the Canucks picked Tom Willander, and we had a lot of fun with that, and I was really happy the Canucks picked the big righty defenseman with a lot of talent and um, great skating ability. He was just fun to talk to. He was. Great interview. If, yeah. if you missed any of it, make sure to go back on the podcast and check it out.
0: Uh, we actually packaged the Willander mm-hmm. and Alvin interviews into a nice, easy, and tidy, quick podcast version, and there's also the entire first round you can go
1: back and listen to on uh, on your favorite podcatcher. Yeah, it's worth checking out, especially for the full length, if you have the time and want to relive the first round of the 2023 NHL Entry Draft. Now, day two, I love their first pick. Yes. Uh, he is somebody that we also discussed as being a guy to watch for in the second round, perhaps late first round, even, mm-hmm. as a guy to keep an eye on, Brustovich. And, well, the Canucks pick him up in the third round with their 75th pick. So in terms of value, I think that is by far the the most exciting pick they've made on day two. By yes. far the most exciting pick they made on day two.
0: Another right shot defenseman Yeah, and a uh, player that uh, moves the puck out of his own end really well. Transition defender is how he would be best described at this stage of his career and going into his draft year took on a lot more responsibility. So somebody that they are really excited about and somebody that for a lot of people, had a higher grade than uh, where he was actually selected. So that uh, generally tends to be one of the positive picks. But after that, it was the opposite. Those that are public evaluators of you know, the prospects going into the draft, I would say the Canucks uh, made picks that were lower on public draft boards mm-hmm. and in the public eye than where they ended up selecting these players.
1: Yeah, and and honestly, like I mentioned this on Twitter and I always cringe when this happens because we're going based off a lot of public lists and things that are made by talent evaluators outside of the league. And being off the board from that perspective doesn't necessarily mean off the board within the industry and within right. teams and how they have their lists. But yes, I mean, my big sentiment today was a lot of off the board picks by the Vancouver Canucks outside of Brucevich uh, selection. And that's not to say that none of these picks have any merit or logic behind them or there is no reason to select them. It just seemed like a very specific player type they targeted here. We're not afraid of dra- drafting a couple overagers, Ty Mueller, who's 20 years old, Matthew Perkins, who is 19 years old. And both players are described as very intelligent hockey players that have good details, but still have a lot of flaws they have to overcome, especially when it comes to quality traits and, and those sort of things. But they're certainly prioritizing a certain level of intelligence and character, I would say. Yeah. Generally speaking, Mm -hmm. you could run into trouble sometimes trying to draft outside the top round, specifically looking at narrow traits, even if it is intelligence and character. Because what you can do, especially that late in the the draft, is forego upside to go after a guy that you've identified. But it is a strategy that a lot of teams do employ. And we saw Mike Gillis do this when he was a GM of the Vancouver Canucks one year as well, when they drafted Ben Hutton, Uh, they drafted um he was he was an overager at that point they drafted alexander mallet who in the second round that year who was also uh, an overager uh, they had drafted matthew beady as well i believe yep. it was that year who was an overager so they drafted like four or five overagers now you can make the case that it's not a smart strategy and i think it's it's a fair thing to say now depending on how you view it wesley myron matthew Beatty, alexander mallet and ben hutton four players that Canucks drafted in 2012 all four were overagers for that draft one of them ended up playing four hundred and sixty-eight games, and that was Ben Hudd. Mm-hmm. Now, Mallet, Myron, and Beattie didn't sniff the National Hockey League. None of them. Not not a single game, right? But they found one guy that's a career, what, third pair defenseman? Yeah. Had a moment, but never really lived up to being a top four guy ever. A
0: career six, seven type defenseman.
1: Yeah. So there is a strategy we've seen employed in the past in Vancouver. Now that wasn't all Vancouver did. They drafted some younger players too, and we'll talk about that coming up in a second. But it has merit. Generally speaking, though it's ended up being a pretty fruitless endeavor outside of finding maybe a bottom six player or a third pair guy, which might be what Vancouver is prioritizing and trying to get guys who can actually perhaps play NHL games.
0: It's uh, a strategy that, you know, you go across the leagues. It's one that hasn't gotten a lot of love, you know, drafting overagers in the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. Guys that, you know, are older prospects later in the rounds or, You know, they're senior, you know, red shirts, whatever they might have been. And they're 23, 24 years old when they're getting drafted. You know, there's less development time. They're almost fully developed uh, as as players. And, you know, that means they're more of a finished product than what they could continue to develop into. You draft a younger player like Jonathan lecker last year, one of the youngest players in the 2022 NHL entry draft and still has a lot of development to go. Whereas you draft a guy who's almost 20 years old. Well, they're more filled out in their body. They have had more development time and they should be dominating in their current level Mm -hmm. because they're generally playing against younger players.
1: Absolutely. And I think those are things that, you know, go into the evaluation and, and Hey, listen, all you gotta do is be right on the guys. That's all that matters. We can sit here and talk about whether we liked it or not. At the end of the day, do you hit on a couple of these guys? And if you do, that's the only thing here uh, that really matters at the end of the day.
0: Well, That's part of my sort of thought process on this, too, is, you know, we're talking about the two they picked in the fourth round, Matthew Perkins and Ty Mueller. And realistically, how many fourth rounders do come around and end up playing in the National Hockey
1: League? Well, okay, so if you look at it, so traditionally, third rounders, about 20 percent of them make it to the National Hockey League. Um, And by make it to the National Hockey League, I mean guys who play 200 games. Okay, so that's 20, 20 percent. And that number is actually greatly inflated by a few players who've played like 500 games, 600 games, 700 games. If you start kind of breaking it down more towards, okay, individual players who've played you know a certain range of games and you take away the high end, it becomes a much smaller number. So that even 20% mark we say about playing NHL games, a lot of it's inflated by guys who played hundreds of NHL games outside the first round. So keep that in mind, right? The percentage of a player to be a star is 1.6%. In the third round, yeah, and 1.4 percent in the fourth round, and these are numbers by uh, Byron Bader, who uh, compiled uh, 20 years of drafts and went through, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how players have kind of gone through, and that's uh, that kind of the rate, the hit rate's been the past 20 years, giving five years from the last point that it was drafted. Now things change always, but that's a general kind of list for you here. At the end of the day, not a lot happens no. in, in the in the third, fourth, or fifth round. Now, what's been even worse in Vancouver is, I wish there was a 1% hit rate. Yes. (laughs) Because if you go back, if you go past these past 20 years, and I can understand where a lot of the skepticism from the fan base comes over, Canucks drafts in the past, because it's not hard to look at what they've done in the past and be very, very underwhelmed, right? Yeah. Through a lot of different regimes at this point too now. A lot of different regimes. So let's look at the past 20 drafts. Let's go back to 2003. Mm -hmm. Outside of the first round, how many impact players do people think the Canucks have drafted? And I mean impact as in like top six forward, yeah. top four defenseman, mm-hmm. number one goalie. That's impact to me. It's not like, you know, you, you find a Ben Hutton, who makes the list actually, <laughs> but you find a Ben, uh, ben Hutton or Adam Gaudet. Yeah. They aren't hits. They're hits in terms of, yeah, they played games or something for you, but they're not, they're
0: they're not, not needle hits. movers. They're not yeah. hits
1: in a big way, right?
0: Um, and, you know, even with Goddard, you know, a lot of his games came because, you know, the Canucks just didn't have a
1: lot of talent on the team. So the most high-end defenseman they've drafted in the past 20 years is Alex Edler. Third round, 2004. That
0: checks out. 2004, right? I guess, you know, some will name Gustav Forsling, who's turned out pretty well with, he, the, he's with pre- the Florida Panthers. He also makes the list. Yeah. So
1: he's on the list here. So there are nine players who actually made some impact. And I mean some, but in terms of actually top four. So if you want to make the case of Forsling, he's one. Yeah. Alex Edler is the first one. That's in 2004. There's Mason Raymond, who is the best, highest scoring forward they've drafted yeah. outside of the first round of the past 20 years. There is... Neil, Niels Hoaglander, believe it or not, makes the list yeah. because of the production he's had, which is kind of sad, you know, <laughs> like he makes a list of some of the best draft picks outside the first round. And he's for not Vancouver. even really a fully developed player yet. Kevin Connaughton makes that list. Ben Hutton, like I mentioned, makes it makes that list. And maybe the best selection in recent memory, Thatcher Demko. Yeah star Gold. They found him in the second round, but that's it. I mean, there's a start so outside of
0: the first round. That's all you're getting in the last 20 years.
1: Yeah, like Alex Adler is like, you know, ring of honor type of guy. Like mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's the type of career he had. So you'd say he's a huge hit, right? Yeah. Damko's a huge hit. Forsling's a hit, but he didn't play for your team. But like how big of a hit mm-hmm. so there's like, you got two real quality players in 20 years that they drafted outside the first round. So when that's kind of been the case, I understand the skepticism mm-hmm. in this market when they see players get drafted, especially with guys that don't have a ton of upside. Cause it's like sure, great, you want to get some NHL players, but are you guys ever going to hit on something (laughs) outside of the first two rounds, ever? You want to hit on
0: something that's a little bit more tantalizing in the second, third, fourth rounds, right? What has helped... What has helped Tampa Bay so much during this dynastic Mm -hmm. level run that they've had over the last number of years? Now, I know, you know, it sort of came up short this year, losing in the first round, but, you know, they went to three straight cup finals, nothing to scoff at. And... It's a lot of it propped up by guys they selected after the first round. Yeah. Kucherov, Braden Point, Anthony Cirelli. Uh, you know, you have even Andre Palat, who was a later round draft pick.
1: Yeah, Cirelli, a guy making $6 million now. now. Yep. Uh, Palat making over $5 million. Somebody texted in and said, does Yannick Hansen now count? He's on the list too. Yep. There's nine players. Let me go through the list again here, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's Hoaglander, Gaudet, Demko, Forsling, Hutton, Connaughton, Raymond, Edler, and Hansen. Yeah. That's 11 players, yeah. right? So that's one player almost every second year, and only two are high end guys. Like Yannick Hansen, at his best, was a third line winger. At his best, you know, a number six forward on a team, right? Yeah. He wasn't a guy making five or six million. The guys you just named on Tampa Bay, we're talking what? Braden Point, third yeah. round. Stars. Listen, you can't even. hit on one guy, and I'm not saying you have to hit on one or something, but that's what they hit on. And that's what I'm talking about when it comes to big hits in the later rounds. And some of it is dumb luck. You know, some of it is
0: maybe just prioritizing guys that score a ton, and we hope that those guys will hit, right? Like, there's that level of strategy. It seems like the Canucks have just gone in a way that's, you know, maybe this guy we can develop into a bottom six role player for us. And do you really want to use the draft for that? Like why not use those fourth round picks to go out and acquire that kind of a guy around the league?
1: And I think, I mean, that's fair. We're going to talk to Todd Harvey coming up in a second, asking him, you know, what they're prioritizing here uh, with what they are taking. And perhaps do they have opportunities to move down? One Mm -hmm. of the discussions about wanting to get, getting some of these guys by moving down in the draft. The one thing I would also say is for all the talk about that, and and you're not wrong. And I agree. We just went through, you know, when will this team hit on stars? They never hit on stars outside the first round really. And, you know, if you don't take guys that have that potential, then when is that next going to happen? But we also say this team needs to develop its own fourth-line centers, third-line centers, yeah, bottom-pairing defensemen, mm-hmm. guys that can play specific roles. You can't be going to the free agency trying to sign Teddy Bluger and David Kampf because you don't have anybody coming within your own system. Yes, You can't go out there and try to find the next Barbashev and pay him $5 million. Why don't you develop... The next Barbashev type of deal. And Barbashev's a higher-level player, again, than some of the guys we're talking about here. So if the projection is these are guys that are going to be a third-line center for us Mm long-term, you know, the type of uh, piece that we think is going to come come up internally so we don't have to pay for that, then there is logic behind it. Again, it comes down to one of the discussions we had the other yesterday about ceiling versus certainty.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: At the end of the day, you need a high baseline. If you don't have the high baseline, I don't care about... Uh, what you may project as. Because like if you don't hit the baseline with production and ability, yeah. I, I don't care about your smarts. Like, you have to hit a baseline, right? But if you hit the baseline, then it comes down to how you're evaluating the ceiling versus the certainty of the floor of the player. And yes, player X, his ceiling might be scoring right winger, yeah. right? But there's a 5% chance he hits that. Yeah. This player here has a 0% chance of being a top two centerman, but based on his projection, has a 25% chance of being a third line center. What are we going to draft? The 25%. Again, you can make the argument it's better to go for the winger yeah. cuz you have a higher upside, but I think that's kind of the calculation here on guys. And if you're right on it, great. Mm-hmm. Great. Then you have that backfill finally.
0: Uh Jay texting in Canucks new managers put a giant emphasis on development more than previous regimes. That in itself instills more confidence for me. Uh it's a good point Jay and and you know what? They they should be and we have talked about that. You know, they definitely made strides at Abbotsford, in Abbotsford, with some of the development progress they had for their young players. And they've been able to identify some intriguing talents, right? We talked about Akito Hirose, Cole McWard. Are those guys going to amount to much more than what we saw at the end of this past season? Maybe not, but you can tell that the idea of prioritizing smarts is there for this team right now and they think that that's something that they can translate into players that are functional for their teams moving forward so it's their belief process it certainly is not one that everybody agrees with but they at least have an idea of what they're looking for and they target those things those traits when they get to the draft and with all that said you know i know that there is a massive uh love for the carolina hurricanes who tend to like any time a draft winners and losers list comes out i feel like the carolina hurricanes are one of the first names one of the first teams on every list yeah after the nhl entry draft every single year and if you look at their list and you compare it to some lists that are made by draft Knicks and, and you know, whatever draft or prospect analysis outlet that you might go to elite prospects or some of the guys on Twitter that do this on a daily basis, on a yearly basis, you can compare the list and see that Carolina is selecting a lot of those guys that get highlighted by analytical models and things of that nature. And, and that's great. Hey, there's, there's always different ways to look at the draft and how you want to prioritize using your draft choices. But don't come to me and say that Carolina's actually had a ton of success in the entry draft. Like in
1: well, the they've li- hit some first-round picks. Yeah. They've hit on high
0: picks. In the last four years, the only guy that's played a game for them so far is Seth Jarvis. Pretty good. You go beyond that, 2019, five years now, or, you know, four five drafts, Piotr Kachekov. Got some promise. As a goalie, he looks looks yeah. pretty good, and he was a second-round draft choice. So that's Jack one Drury shows something this year. Beyond the first round, Jack Drury was a second-round pick. Yeah. Um, outside of the top two rounds, has Carolina hit on anybody? For as much as they get praised and lauded for taking the guys that are undervalued by NHL teams and are valued by more analytical models, how many of these guys have actually hit? show me some Morgan so, geeky
1: yeah Morgan geeky now playing uh with the Seattle Yanni Coin yeah uh, not I him. couldn't even tell you who ge- who he played games for uh etu who's now with the Florida Panthers second, second round pick. pick second round pick he's he's a after, good player
0: tell me one after the second round sat
1: Nicholas Roy That's who's 2015. Now, uh 2015 fourth round. He was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, hey, I, I take a Nicholas Roy outside the second round for the Vancouver 100%. Canucks the past six seven years. But, that's, but your point does stand. That's even, going beyond
0: the Don Waddell era and, and this whole Tom Dundon sort of like, we're going to prioritize analytics, we're going to have a model, and we're going to follow it, and that's that's just going to be how we do business. Since they've been doing that, like, they don't hit anything outside of the top two rounds. That's true, but
1: Vancouver's not even hitting on second-round picks. Now, no, Vancouver doesn't even have second-round picks a lot of the time, which is a bigger issue. If you had more, perhaps you would have hit on more of yeah. them. But like at least they had Kachekov who looks good, right? He was a second-round pick. Jack Drury, second-round pick. Lester Ryan, who's now with Florida, a good player, but he was a second-round pick, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they've at least hit on second-round picks. Sebastian Aho, superstar player almost. Yes. Second-round pick. So, they've hit on some of those guys at a high level. Vancouver hasn't hit on anything close to that in the second round. Like I mentioned, the past 20 years, the two best players they've drafted, Alex Edler, Thatcher Demko. You it's, know, and, and it's taken a while now. People, my, people text my, in and said, Kevin BX, said, that was 2001. Like, we're saying past 20 years. years if, if, if we have to do a whole 40 years of different discussion, we're looking at t- you know 20 years, 10 year installments. That's what Vancouver has to show so far.
0: My, my bigger point is, and I'm not here to like, yeah, you know, to poo to poo what the Carolina Hurricanes are doing. Okay, doing a little bit of poo pooing. <laughs> okay, maybe <laughs> I'm doing it. Maybe it sounds like a little bit of poo pooing what they are doing, but. Even if you can look at a team and say that their draft process is sound and I really like what they do in yeah. the draft and the types of players that they prioritize, and I can see and I can understand what Carolina does prioritize and how they go about making their selections. Guys who score a ton at lower levels, you know, they're, they're banking that some of that will translate into mm-hmm. the NHL, right? Great. Cool. I can see it. I can understand your process. I get it. You might have a sound process. It still might not work out because that's the NHL entry draft.
1: The hit rate is very, very, very small.
0: Yes, it is. So it's an interesting sort of exercise to go through. And I'm not saying this to defend the Vancouver Canucks and how they went about their selections we're going to talk to Todd Harvey director of amateur scouting here in just a few moments and get his take on how the Canucks saw the draft play out what types of things they're prioritizing and why they go about building their list in the way that they do but it's just to say maybe we shouldn't Get so upset about the fourth round pick? Yeah, you know what (laughs) the Canucks
1: made. I I think more than anything else, what what we want to see is sound decision making and sound process. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, you know, we can give our takes about what we would have done and what would have been better. We're not going to know when it comes to the draft for at least three, four, five years. To be honest, right? So you know, we can give our takes. We we have to kind of revisit this in a few years. And for all this discussion about process and philosophy, none of it can really be graded or even evaluated right now, right? But. That's really where the discussion kind of comes down to Mm -hmm. for me right now. It's just about like, hey, philosophy, which way you go about it and how you do these things. But it's also, like you mentioned, being aware of how hard it is to hit hit on these players to begin with. But more than anything, like I mentioned... We've seen in this organization over years, there's been times when this team has been well-managed and they've had a process that makes sense. But even during, you know, the best run time where a lot of fans refer to the Mike Gillis era, it was one of the worst drafting eras of their time, right? They tried different things and none of it really worked out. We saw with the Benning regime, some good drafting at times, also some really poor drafting at times and just some poor management and just some... Very, let's say, confusing philosophical decision-making and team-building decisions. And just the process didn't add up a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. With this regime, I think people are still trying to come to grips with what they're all about. There's a lot of skepticism because of the yeah. failure so far. And when you see them take these types of gambles and they don't have a lot of credit built up, they, haven't, they don't have a lot of success built up here, I understand where the skepticism is kind of coming from. But it's like you mentioned, let's also just take a breath about yeah. where we're at today about the draft and where this all may go and what we truly know and don't know. But I, I love the passion, honestly. I mean, in in what markets do people get this worked yeah. up over third, fourth round draft picks. Well, and,
0: and at the same time, you know, you can look at uh, last year's draft, Elias Patterson in the third round DPD had a strong D-plus-1 year, and now you're pretty excited about that prospect. Even their seventh-round selection last year, Kirill Kudryatsev, who they've now signed to an entry-level deal, you know, a lot of people after the year he just had with the Sioux Greyhounds, Mm -hmm. very excited about how he can continue to develop. So a lot can change in a year. None of these guys are going to be around for the next year. They're going to continue developing, and we'll see uh, next year how we feel about the draft process when we get there yeah
1: and you know we'll get more of an evaluation on how these uh, how they evaluate the talent and let's just hope that the process makes a lot of sense That yeah. we look back at this in a couple of years and say hey they had a process of this is the type of player ident- they identified this is what they went after and hey they've had success with it so far we haven't seen it and it's just been too little time to see it so far we do like
0: the first round selection in Tom Willander though and you know, he's headed to Boston University, the Canucks uh, seventh or sorry, sixth round selection, uh, Aiden Celebrini, uh, the brother of Macklin, who will likely go first overall next year. So insert your jokes about the Canucks preparing, although I don't know how they're getting the first overall selection next year. That that would be uh, quite the coup. Yes. Or, or maybe not. It would be the opposite of a coup. Um, <laughs> and uh, he's also headed to Boston University, not in this upcoming season, but the following Year So the Canucks will have a couple of players uh, to watch there. But what do we expect now that the Canucks have Willander into their system? Just before we uh, we get to uh, Todd Harvey here, I know this is... Uh, your tweet blew up last night talking about how much you like the pick Willander for the Canucks. Um, what's, what's the development path and timeline look like here for Tom Willander?
1: I think if you're being optimistic he's not going to arrive. And this is like being super optimistic mm-hmm. that he comes and leaves college after one year. Yeah. Realistically probably spends two years mm-hmm. in college. I would say, especially because he's making the commitment and going to college and doing it. And I think given the way he views himself and how much work he wants to put in, and how ready he wants to be for the NHL level, I think two years makes sense. I, and I would say that if he follows the path, I don't think he may need to go to the AHL. Yeah. And he may be a guy who may not need the AHL if he spends two years. In college. In college.
0: So that's uh that's
1: being optimistic about it. Now if you want to take a bit more time, two pl- like you're looking 3 years? 2 years maybe plus two and a one half. in the A you know, that's what yeah. you're looking at. I think that's more realistic. It's not going to be, you know, I don't think it's one year comes here and, and dominates. Yeah, I'd love to see it happen. Like but
0: a, a very small chance he plays, you know, the one year and they sign him at the end of his college season and and bring him in to play a few NHL games next year. Yeah, like that's that's Unlike a very that. small percentage chance that that happens. He would
1: have to go through some physical growth because I mean, he's not tiny six one one eighty. Um, But he has still room to grow into his frame, right? Let's say he packs on seven, eight, nine pounds and he just Mm -hmm. crushes it. Maybe, you know, there's a decision to be made there. But that's, I think that's just being overly optimistic about it. But I mean, like I mentioned yesterday, I mean, yeah. uh, there wasn't anybody happier than me that they made that <laughs> selection. I had Tom Willander higher than Benson on my list. We talked about this throughout the season yeah. and uh, how much I like Benson still. But to me, Willander was a top 10 prospect, bar none. And outside of Reinbacher, who's the second best defenseman to me, and him and Shimashev, to me, Shimashev, uh, Reinbacher, and Willinder were top 10 prospects. I'm like, these are legit defensemen. They should be in the top 10, and I had them above a lot of wingers. So for me, I was delighted they picked them, but let's be realistic about how long it's going to take for him to get here.
0: I do like, you know, uh, we, we touched on this a little bit yesterday, but the idea of him going to Boston University rather than staying and playing, potentially, in the SHL, he gets to know North American ice. And one of the positive things about a young player going into the college system, you get a lot of practice time, you get a lot of development time, Because you're not playing a game every other day. And that can be helpful to a lot of players in their development process. Also, the Canucks will have uh, or be able to keep a close eye on Tom O'Lander as he heads to Boston University next year. All right. Todd Harvey's coming up next. The director of amateur scouting with the Vancouver Canucks on Canucks Central. Get smarter when you listen to Hockey Talk, the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitri Filipovich. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canucks Central in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. So we've uh, talked a lot about our draft takes on uh, what the Canucks did on days one and two. Draft now in the books. Let's get the Director of Amateur Scouting, into the conversation. Todd Harvey, uh, the man on the ground for the Vancouver Canucks, now joining us here on Canucks Central. Thanks for this, Todd. How's the week been in Nashville?
2: Just been good. It's been busy. It's been pretty hot down here at
0: <laughs> uh, Shorts and flip-flops the rest of the way, for sure.
2: Yes. No suit anymore.
0: i got to get it off. So... Uh, it- interesting draft the way that it's played out uh, let's start on your your first round selection at 11 uh tom willander you know we saw a couple of surprises there at least uh, from how we viewed it in in the top 10 uh, how did it break down for you in the lead up to selecting tom
2: well first of all i just want to say about you know our staff the, the amount of work that we put into this um you know we you know the process we went through to get to the list and you know all the late nights and the hard work and the and the and the long long car rides uh you know make it all worthwhile for these guys. I appreciate their work. They've done a good job this year. Um as far as Tommy, um the first round played out just like I thought it was going to play out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just as you envision.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean obviously uh you know we had our list and, and uh you know we're kind of, we're kind of sitting there at 11 and we're in the at the mercy of the people above us, right? So um, but we, we kind of had our list, and we went with the best player available.
1: Well, and as far as uh, Willander goes, Patrick said that you guys were very excited, maybe had some opportunities to go down, but uh, you guys, the entire group, felt very convicted about selecting Willander. What what gave you guys so much conviction that he was the right guy at 11?
2: Well, first of all, the character and the person that he is um, really drew us to him. And, and obviously, the on-ice stuff is, is is obviously he's a great player, and we think that he's got some good upside. And, uh, you know, I think he, his season, we've, we've watched him since, you know, the Halinkin. and it's just the trajectory has gone up, up, and up, and the accumulation of it was a real good tournament for him and in, in, uh, in uh, the, the, uh, the under-18 uh,
0: championships. So, um,
2: you know, we were really excited and, and uh, you know, happy that uh, he was there for us.
0: You see more offensive upside in his game. I do,
2: I do, and that's what we we, we talked about. We love his defense, we love his skating, we love the the, the defensive awareness and and the, the way he plays defense. Um, but I do see some some more offense in his game, and he talks about it. He he's a he's a guy that that knows what he is and and uh, knows what he wants to work on, and and he goes about doing it. And uh, and I think that at the end the end of the day, there's more there.
1: And when we talk about upside, I think we get it so fixated on you know, what a guy can do production wise, oftentimes. And uh, there mm-hmm. are players, obviously, that that were wingers available, and perhaps even centers that you can look at and say, "Hey, they have a lot of flash." But as far as projecting upside and projecting a player to be a righty defenseman that could be a top hair guy versus a mm-hmm. top winger, you know, I guess you can always make the case that it's pretty close. But in terms of evaluation, it's pretty easy to see the value of righty defenseman that can play that at that high, well, right?
2: Let me ask you: Where do you find a right-handed defenseman? <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: Uh, so you know, obviously, you know, we were happy that that he happens to be right, but we would have liked him if he was a left-handed defenseman. I, I mean, the 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 way the way the way it went is, we liked the player, and he was the best player on our board, and that's why we took him there.
0: When you go about building out your list with the uh, with the with the rest of the staff, you know, w- what traits, um, what what skills are you prioritizing to take? Uh, not just in the first round, but but also later on in the draft.
2: Well, obviously, hockey sense is a big part of it, and uh, character and compete a uh, uh, big, big part of it in it too. Um, you know, obviously, skating and all the other skills are, are great to have. But you know, we we really kind of look for a little bit of everything. Not players, not every player is going to have all those skills. So we're looking at at what where they can get to if we work with them in development and and uh, look at how high their ceiling will be. And uh, you know, that's kind of what we look for.
1: You guys did select a couple of players that have been through the draft process once or twice uh, today. And what goes into the process of drafting those players? And in terms of IQ, I think when we look into those guys and at least read what we can find, the Mm -hmm. IQ stands out about them. But what have you seen from those players through their development the last couple of years that makes you believe that they can, you know, uh, become players down the road?
2: Well, and and that's. I'll talk about Perkins first. I, I, I look at him. He's a slight frame. He's got a lot of room to grow, uh, a little late developer. And uh, the way he skates, he's got a good skill there. He's a real good skater. He's got good smarts. He's been used on the penalty. You know, and I do think there's some some, some offensive upside there. Um, confidence will be a big thing for him in getting stronger.
0: Do, do you think uh, when it comes to hockey sense and, and IQ and smarts on the ice, do you think that can help a player um, sort of overcome some of the things, other things that they lack?
2: Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, obviously, a smart player that has deficiencies in skating can read the play and get there just as quick. Obviously, we want everybody to have all those skills, but that's probably not quite possible. Um, (laughs) uh, There's no perfect hockey player. So um, at the end of the day, I think hockey sense is, is a big, big part of it.
1: Well, in in the hockey sense, obviously, I know Patrick also spoke a lot about character and and guys and how hard Mm -hmm. they work, because a lot of it does come down to the level of dedication players are going to have and how hard they're going to work and how willing they are to get to that level. But also, how difficult is it to to judge that? And perhaps sometimes with guys that are a year older or two, do you Mm -hmm. have more of a, say, um, uh, more information to look at, perhaps, to judge that they can be the right players to develop?
2: Yeah, I mean obviously our guys have followed these guys they've seen them play before and our guys do a lot of homework on these guys and uh I think at the end of the day um you know they they really push for them and 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 thought they 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 see what the player they can be and and the dedication that they're going to put in. So we know these players and and uh and and that does have a lot to do with uh, um selecting these players is the the heat the dedication to to get better.
0: Uh, Hunter Brusiewicz was your uh, third-round selection, second uh, for this team in the draft. Um, another right shot defenseman. Uh, what can you tell us about Hunter?
2: Well, uh, you know, really, we thought that we had him, you know, second-round value. I think we were real happy to get him where we got him. Um, um, obviously, for him, he's a smart player, moves pucks very well, has some offense in his game. And he, this year he came into – uh, Kitchener and, and took took big minutes over for some guys and and uh, really pushed his way uh, into that lineup and was real cog on the back end for them, and um, you know we we really like uh, we like like I said about his hockey sense and his puck yeah. moving
1: ability. Well, and you know one of the things that's pretty clear and at least theme wise from the defenseman you pick, guys that are good in their own end and guys that project to be good defensemen, and we're starting to find out it's becoming rarer and rarer to find good defensive defensemen and guys that can play you know at a high level still move the puck. And how much yeah. of how much of that went into your selection of Sawyer Minu, uh, the lefty yeah. defenseman?
2: Yeah, no, uh, we we we've followed him all year, and I think that um, if you looked, I still think there's some offense in his game. He moves he moves real well for for his size. He's he's got room to grow out on his frame. Um, um, but he was pushed down the lineup. They had a real good team there this year. But he he learned how to play defense and move pucks. Uh, he was first over the boards so of the penalty kill. Um, you know, late in the games, he was the guy that they relied on, and uh, and I think. You know, next year you'll probably have a bigger role, and and I I think he's going to see some offense blossom with him.
1: Uh, you guys also picked a pretty big forward out of Sweden, and, and somebody that is uh, teammates with Jonathan Lukeramackin. At least played with with him, Vilmer uh with 107 pick, big player. What did you guys see in him that made him so intriguing to be selected?
2: Well, he's a big, big, big guy, and uh, and he's he's got some good feet. And he's he's got a lot of room to grow. Obviously, we're projecting him, and we think he's pretty raw right now, but. When he gains some strength and, 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 and learns how to use his body, I think there's a real good player there.
1: You know how oftentimes we talk about trades at this time of the year, and, and honestly, it seemed like a pretty quiet draft. No trades in the first round, not a yeah. ton of trades on day two. Was there some consideration to try to trade down and select some players? Uh, was that a possibility oh, even sure there the this year? we
0: phones
2: were ringing everywhere, so I, I think everybody valued their picks this year, and, and that's kind of how it went. And, uh, you know, I know that... Uh, um you know we valued our picks and and uh, we were happy to make the pick obviously everybody would like to move up and do this and that but sometimes that just doesn't come to fruition
0: todd we uh, appreciate the time the insights uh all the best yep. to you uh for for the summer we'll talk soon okay thank you have a good one bye there is todd harvey director of amateur scouting with the vancouver canucks joining us here on canuck central as they finished up, they wrapped up the 2023 entry draft today, Seth.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know you could tell that uh, they believe strongly in the intelligence of these players and why they took them where they took them. And as far as the trade down possibilities go, um, it, it, hey, like we mentioned before, you'd love to, especially when you're drafting a couple of overagers. Can you trade down and still get your guy? Get a couple yeah. extra picks, a couple extra, you know, lottery tickets for yourself, and and get on with that process the trade down options seem to be few and far between. And like he mentioned himself, you know, was
0: fewer than 10 made overall.
1: Yeah. Not a ton. Right. So some of those possibilities may have not quite been there for Vancouver, but even if they were like he mentioned, they valued their picks. They, they they really feel strongly about these players. And when it comes to finding, you know, guys that are good defensively, and I think that was really the focus with the first three picks at the very least. And other guys have good details, but you know, getting those first three defensemen, you know, in the, in in the first round and then the third round with their three highest picks, I think made a lot of sense. Yeah. And when you profile those players, even, even Sawyer Manu, who maybe upside-wise is a bit lower than the other guys, but being an intelligent two-way defender who skates well, mm-hmm. it's a rarity, you know? And I, and I think them tr- trying to corner that market made some sense. And I will say that type of defenseman was a bit more plentiful in this year's draft, especially it, in the in the mid to later round.
0: Yeah. When you see and even just read about Brustovich... Uh, the talk about his mobility, his ability to transition pucks. How often have we heard, going back to like Jim Rutherford's first news conferences, Patrick Alvine's first few availabilities, how they need to be a team that moves the puck out of their own end a lot better. Yeah, And it seemed as though you know, that's also a trait that they are prioritizing, guys who move the puck well out of their own end.
1: Yeah, intelligent players as well. You know, I mean, one thing this team has really lacked, maybe if you go through their system and players, intelligent two-way players, mm-hmm. whether they're up front or whether they're, uh, you know, players who play on the back end. And, I mean, when we start looking at the prospects Vancouver has, and, you know, we'll dig into this deeper a bit later in the show when we start looking at the Canucks system now that they've completed another yeah. draft and added to it and everything. But when we look at some of their forward prospects, there is, like, the Clemonvich. Mm-hmm. We all know, you know, Le'Karimaki a bit higher end. But there are guys like that in on the back end. Yanni Yurmo, yeah, who's, you know, talented. But they're not really known as intelligent, you know, mm-hmm. two-way type of players that make that, that type of impact on the defense. They don't have a ton of those players. Now, Philip Johansson, you know, Elias Patterson. But outside of that, uh, there's, you know, you're not quite sure where it's going to be outside of him. Well, RRSA. even,
0: you know, some criticisms of players that they currently have their hands on. Like Hoaglander and yeah. his decision-making and different types of, like things that they've said about players they currently have in the organization and where they need to improve in order to take their next steps.
1: Yeah, so how much of this is also in terms of organizational need, yeah. lacking that type of player type in general too. And, and like we said before, when you don't have a ton of players who profile like that for your bottom six, you have yeah. to go out and acquire that and pay for that, whether it's via trade or free agency, which is if you're wasting a couple million and you know some mid-round picks or whatever picks or third-round picks to find a third-line center, I like guess you're yep. costing you. So can you do that internally one way or another? Now, the the thing I would generally say to all that, the players who end up having the most success are the players who are the most talented. Because yes. they're the ones who end up adapting, adjusting, and becoming those types of players. That's why you oftentimes see guys who were projected to be or were first-round picks who reinvent their, their games end mm-hmm. up being the good third-line centers after a while because they have a level of talent that's just so superior. And if they're willing to figure it out, they can So Guys, you who go-
0: scored a bunch in junior and then oh, I'm not going to be able to score like that here yes. in the NHL, so i got to figure out how to do things that make me a long-time NHL player.
1: You have to have IQ for that, yeah. self-awareness for that, mm-hmm. and I think those are two very important things to have. So sometimes that's the player you have to identify as opposed to the player whose ceiling is lower because it's even harder for those guys to max out to get there. Like If you're maxing out to be a third or four, like fourth-line center, that means everything has to go right for you to, just yes. to be a fourth-line center. You know? But at the end of the day, just be right on two guys. Can you be right on two guys outside the first round this year? Yeah, You know, you hit on lander, Make sure you hit on lander, Can you get two more players out of this draft? That's, that's what it comes down to. You get three guys out of this draft. You don't have a second-round pick. Good you had a couple of thirds. Can you squeeze two more players long-term out of this draft?
0: It's so important that they really do start to, to build out more on their prospect system, and we're going to get to that in just a few moments and sort of reassess where the Canucks pros, prospect system is now after essentially... You know, this is two big periods that Patrick Alvine has had to build out more of a prospect pool and build out that area of the organization, some depth to the organization. But the other thing they really prioritize, and I'm going to use this text to to get there, Brad and Cloverdale, Volander sounds like he's got a bit of a Mamba mentality, a willingness to outwork and outpractice his competitors. Yeah. I've got all the time for that mindset. Uh, I mean, we could kind of hear it in some of the things that he said to us yes. last night in our in our interview. You could tell the excitement to get drafted by Vancouver, but also the understanding of how much work still needs to go in to him to get to where his goals are. But that was the other thing Todd Harvey mentioned is we prioritize IQ and
1: character compete. Yes, no, so he, he does. And it's hard to identify sometimes because like we mentioned, it's, it's easy to put on... You can be whoever you want to be in a 20 minute interview or an hour. You know, you can put that on. But some people have that. And the thing that comes out, you know, that, or something that he oozes is that type of aura about him, which has been mentioned. And I think, yeah, we had a great chat with him and great chat with Alvin and we'll continue breaking it down. There's been some great uh, written work as well. You know, IMAC had a great piece on sportsnet.ca. I read some good work on The Athletic. Haley Salvine had a great piece, uh, who hosts a show out in Calgary on on 960 as well. And I know Dranson Harmon had some good information on him as well. But what's the common a theme that keeps emerging, like you mentioned, the the smarts he has, but how dedicated and focused he is. The fact that he he's looking at practicing more next year. To him, it's a priority. Going to college, so he has more practice time, so he can yes. work in the weight room. He can work on his game a bit more. He understands the work that has to go in to being a good player and the path he's willing to take to get there. And. People have been coming at me a little bit saying, uh, he's not really physical mm-hmm. and like, you know, you, are you're, you're, you're exaggerating on his edge, watch him closely. And it's like, well, I, I have, he has an edge and I thought one of the really cool anecdotes was, uh, that was written about him was one of his coaches said that he was so, he had so much of an edge in practice and he was so physical in practice that I felt that he was going to discourage our forwards. Because he was so tough on him essentially. Yeah. Like this is a guy that's just like he doesn't in practice, he's he's trying to kill everybody. <laughs> but you, you gotta tell him to like take it easy. Like you gotta rein this in, pal. Like you can't you can't go out there and crush your teammates. Man, and how much what, t- what
0: what has Jim Rutherford and Patrick
1: Alvine said about a thousand times? Practice habits. Practice habits. But you know, and if you look at the best players in the league, they're the ones who practice the best. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm not saying well, Andrew's gonna be one of the best defensemen in the National Hockey League, but that's the type of mentality you want a guy to have. And the thing is, he's super athletic, and mm-hmm. if you go through the combine uh, numbers as well, like his power, his skating, uh, his his uh, his uh, I know you don't know, verticals don't matter, but it shows you the burst he has and the power and dyna- how dynamic he is in his skating. I mean, he's one of the best athletes in the draft. He yeah. is the best defensive skater in the draft, and he still has ooh loads of development to be able to do. Yeah. Like you know, w- when I hear the ceiling is limited, I-, I think that's selling short a guy who's on a completely different trajectory and developmental path than a lot of players are, especially for a guy who just started playing defense three years ago.
0: Uh, let's bring in our next guest, uh, Dennis Weidman, assistant coach with the Kitchener Rangers and coaching uh, one of the newest Canucks prospects in Hunter Brustovich. Uh, thanks for this, Dennis. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Uh, pretty good. Uh, you gotta, it's got to be a pretty cool spot you're in seeing some of your players get drafted into the NHL now, hey?
3: Yeah, it's obviously uh, an exciting day, for, especially for them. I'm just, you know... For me, it's nice to see the guys that I'm starting to coach that are uh, starting to make it and start to put, make the, the next level and make that next step. So, hope, hopefully, Hunter is, is the next one to do that. And Carson, obviously, and Matt Andenowski went as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty cool day.
1: Well, and Hunter's a player who uh, obviously is well renowned for his puck movability and his skating. What was it like coaching him from a coachability standpoint uh, with you?
3: no he was great um i never had an issue with him the whole time his his hockey iq is is elite um you know he's one of those kids that whenever you tell something to them he's capable of applying it within the game or really soon after he can just he just gets it he gets the game he's a really smart player you guys got a good one there uh
0: what would you or how would you describe hunter as a defenseman like what what makes him pop what makes him go
3: yeah, I mean I think uh, uh like you mentioned there his his puck moving ability is is really really good. I think he sees plays um great. I think he I think he sees plays at this level in junior that aren't there yet because he's playing with other people that maybe don't see the plays that he sees there and and I think when he I think when he gets to the next level when he gets a chance to play with some of the the better forwards and the forwards that are in the NHL or at least in the AHL and they can make those reads I think his passing ability is going to look even better
1: well and when it comes to you know uh, developing offensively that's that's one side of it but in terms of transition defense making the right reads and being able to have a good gap control at a young age I mean how rare is that becoming when you see young defensemen come through the ranks these days yeah I mean I think he
3: he does it a little bit different way I think there's I think there's some big D men um, in the league that you know keep their gaps tight and play a physical, um, real tight gap. And I think he uses his skating and his smarts to close plays down. Um, he, you know, it's called surfing, but he makes really good reads that if he's got no one on his side and he can get an angle, he skates forward and closes plays down in front of his partner. If, they, if he reads they have bad gaps, so he just reads the game and sees the game really well.
0: You played over 800 games uh, in, in the NHL. Uh now you're coaching in the OHL. I mean, w- what was it for you that was the biggest transition from junior and growing your career into the pros and being able to have such a long career after Dennis?
3: Uh I I mean, I think um I think for me it was obviously the speed of the game. I think I I think it speeds up a little bit, but also when you get to the NHL, if you, if you see the game well and, and have good hockey IQ, the transition can be not quite as bad because you see plays happen and you can make the plays. And I think Hunter's kind of one of those players. Um, and I, I think for myself, it kind of just, it kind of happened for me. The hardest part was obviously defending and battling big grown men in the <laughs> NHL that could skate and are really good. Cause I was, undersized and not quite as strong so when I'm going into a corner with someone that's got you know three or four inches five inches on me and 20 30 pounds I got to find a different way to get the puck off them so that was probably the biggest transition for myself and that that was the hardest part for me
1: and I guess like for, for every player, it's different. They have different challenges and the things they have to do well. And I know in Vancouver, there's been so much focus the past few years on details and playing the right way because it just hasn't been reinforced or, or actually or executed really well here. But when it comes to especially young guys that want to take that step, having that type of maturity in their games, making the right choices when they're on the ice with the puck and, and understanding, you know, what position to be in, being on the right side of a puck, like how important is that at this stage and how much of that can get coached up?
3: I think it's very important. It's something that me and Hunter talked about quite a bit this year. I think he he read the game very well. Obviously, he sees a lot of plays. Um, he maybe can try some plays that he probably shouldn't, or he holds on to the puck a little bit too long. So for him, what we worked on the majority of the year was just his game management and understanding when the right time is to try those plays, when the right time is to pinch, when the right time is to hold on to the puck, and maybe you just use your skating and 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 beat the guy that way or to move the puck a little bit quicker so for him it was just understanding um when the right time for all that stuff is and not every not every time can you make a great play and and try to make the hardest play on the ice you have to sometimes check down and, and go to your second or third option or that easy one that's right up the wall instead of you know going for the home run all the time and i think it was for him we just worked a lot on his game management and understanding when's the right time you know how much time's left in the period. What's the score? Um, you know all those things that go into all those decisions. And as a young player, obviously, you have to take that all in and make a split-second decision on the ice. So it's not an easy thing to learn. And I think he, I think he did a really good job with it. Obviously, there's still some growth that needs to happen there. But um, I've got no doubt that he won't won't figure it out.
0: Dennis, really appreciate your time. All the best. Thank you.
3: All right, guys.
0: Uh, there is Dennis Weidman, uh, assistant coach with the Kitchener Rangers, and working closely with uh, Canucks prospect. Hunter Brustowicz who was uh, selected in the third round, 75th overall, the Canucks' second pick of this year's draft.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, some some high praise yeah. from Dennis Weidman, a former NHL defenseman, and, you know, a lot of things that he obviously still has to improve on and get better at. But talked about IQ a lot again. <laughs> again, you know, it's, it's it's clear what Vancouver was prioritizing here, yeah. smart, smart hockey players, and... And you know what? You talk to some talent evaluators, and, and you know what's great? We have a talent evaluator coming up next. Yes. We're going to talk to Shane Malloy, and you know, just talk about how important that intelligence trait is. And again, like you can't be the most intelligence guy in the world and not have a baseline of skill and level. Like yes. you have to have a you have to meet a baseline of skating ability and skill for your intelligence to matter. And if you don't reach that baseline or the bare minimum of ability, it doesn't matter. You can be the smartest hockey savant in the world, like it's not going to matter, right? So there are those things, but. Is perhaps IQ the most important thing to evaluate, but is it also the hardest thing to evaluate? It's,
0: I would imagine it can be very difficult to evaluate. All right, we'll get to Shane Malloy. His take on that is coming up in hour number two of Canuck Central.